Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episode. In the red corner, listen to the children of the night. What sweet meows it guy, Mike. Yes, it's the battle of the accents as Gary Oldman and English Keanu Reeves go toe-to-toe fighting for the affections of Winona Ryder as director Francis Ford Coppola pulls out all the stops with blood, model trains and filthy werewolves as he brings one of literature's great stories to life in 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula or Dracula or Draculia as he's called at various points in the film. Here occurred the frightening and shocking history of Prince Dracula and the woman he loved. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Yeah. Dracul. There's a sinister, darker side to him. I find irresistible. I have never met any man with such a passion for life. He is unlike any man. While in the blue corner, can you make a movie where your protagonist moans for two hours? The answer is yes, as Brad Pitt gets buyer's remorse literally minutes after Tom Cruise turns him into a vampire. In fairness, Tom did fail to mention the whole drinking people's blood part of vampirism, or Brad forgot to ask. Either way, they got problems. Problems not even a tiny vampire Kirsten Dunst can solve. Director Neil Jordan turns Anne Rice's best-selling book into a big-screen blockbuster in 1994's Interview with a Vampire. So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? What if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain 
and give you another life. So, what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. I have crossed oceans of time to find you, Clash Podders. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome <laughs> to this week's Bloodsucker Brawl as Dracula <laughs> takes on Interview with a Vampire. So these were the choices of a one Victoria Crompton. V, tell us why you paired these movies for this week's episode. I'm already laughing because uh, of our interview with the vampire being a two-hour mourn. I know that, right? So there's there's a couple of reasons. I do love these films. They were on like heavy rotation during my student days. So, but they're films which I love, but I'm really aware of the flaws. Possibly one of them being that one of them is a two-hour mourn fest. Whatever. But I genuinely love them, and I I know that they're not perfect, and I still love them, and that's I I find that a thing. So, um, why don't you have a guess at the connection? Um. All right. Well, before we get into the connections, I thought we'd do a few of the Twitter guesses because remind us of the clue you gave us last week. What was your clue, Victoria? Uh, it was, uh, I'm going to live forever, I'm going to learn how to fly, which is really clever when you think about it. It's great. It's great. Although Chris did add a brand new one to our Twitter account, which is at ClashPod. Uh, if you haven't followed us yet, do get on there. It's a whole heap of fun. That's at ClashPod on Twitter. Now, uh, Victoria, how did you feel about Chris making up his own clue? <laughs> Don't ask me that. Look, I was in a bad mood yesterday, not, not Chris's fault, and I think you might have known that, and that is, is unfair. <laughs> um, I, I had go on what? No, uh, no. I think I thought it was a very sweet WhatsApp exchange where <laughs> you basically accused Chris of overwriting your clue with his own clue. Uh, Chris, yeah. that's not what you did, is it? <laughs> No, <laughs> we're having two clues now. One on the show, I didn't know one that. On the Twitter. We, we did That's... it last week. Yeah, because um, I thought you were feeling, although I can see now how wrong-headed this was of me, I thought you were feeling chastened by lifting a tagline from a, from a film for your clue. I didn't know it was like a standard practice now for us to do two so i just i just misunderstood so then when i saw your clue i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> and that, that rather, came across. rather than rather than say thank you chris for handling all the twitter responsibilities every day you just went at me <laughs> yeah i know i was in such a bad mood i wasn't in a bad mood because of you it's just i had a, oh, I had a massive hangover and I can't shake them off these days as quickly as I would like. And well, so, I'm sorry, Vicky. I'm sorry I'm for the sorry. misunderstanding. <laughs> uh, thank you. Because that's a proper apology. Because you could have said, I'm sorry that you felt like that. And that would have been a shit apology. But you did a proper sorry. A, tw- a Twitter apology, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm really sorry yeah. for snapping. At it. I just didn't know. I, just, I misunderstood. I'm sorry. Ugh. Okay. Uh, a little look behind the curtain there of uh, <laughs> how we put together these shows. Uh, so, Chris, uh, what was your Twitter clue, which was which you can't compare to Victoria's, by the way. We don't need to compare them. They're just different clues in different they're forms both... of media. My, my clue was love at first bite, and they're both equally good clues. <laughs> of course they are. Well, uh, Vicky's is slightly better, but they're both equally good. 
Thank you, Chris. Equally good. Yeah. We're all friends here. So, um... The guesses rolled in. Uh, Mr. Aidan Rule and Cameron Payne went for Twilight versus Warm Bodies. Josh Skur and Frank Bamwo went for Twilight versus Lost Boys. Uh, a lot of Twilight suggestions. Uh, not James Aussie Pugh, who said, please don't let it be hashtag twice It's not James. Uh, a lot of votes for Lost Boys. Uh, which I think Mark Shea had the perfect pairing, Lost Boys versus Near Dark. That could be a future clash pod. Um, Or Kirsten had one for you, Victoria. Vamps versus Lost Boys. She says, if Vicky didn't pick these, she'll wish she did. (laughs) Now, I I looked up Vamps because I hadn't heard of it. Have you heard of it? No. Chris? I know Vamp. I don't know plural Vamps. Yeah, no, Vamp being the Richard Wenk movie, uh, I went there. But no, Vamps is a 2012 Amy Heckling directed movie with Alicia Silverstone and Kristen really? Ritter. Oh. Uh, uh, they um they play two vampires who do their best, Wikipedia says, to keep up with trends and stay youthful while at the same time abstaining from blood. It made three thousand dollars at the oh. box office. Oh no. Um it had a limited release. Uh, the trailer's on YouTube, and it looks awful in <laughs> the best possible way. Uh, it's got Malcolm McDowell in it, Sigourney Weaver, Wallace Shawn, a very young Dan Stevens. And um, to give you an idea of the humour uh, in Vamps, uh, which I'm already spending longer on than I intended, uh, Kristen Ritter uh, starts dating Van Helsing's son, but mm-hmm. to hide her pale skin from his dad, she slathers herself in orange fake tan at a dinner party. Cool. It sounds brilliant. <laughs> I'm being serious. That is my sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, bottom line, thank you for all your suggestions. Once again, we are at ClashBod on Twitter. All right, Victoria, would you like us to guess the connection? Hold on. Who got yes, it please. right, Alex? Who got it right? Oh, Oh, sugar. Yeah, sugar. Um, Of course, Dylan Berry. Congratulations, Dylan Berry. You got it right. You were the only person to get it right. Congratulations. That was wrong of me to ignore you. Can I I also just want to say one thing about the guesses, because he kind of got it right, but he kind of got it wrong as well. Because I've talked about the Mandela effect on this show before, where... Collectively, people seem to remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison when actually he didn't. He was released. And people remember that Sinbad, the comedian, played a genie called Shazam when he didn't. People remember that Forrest Gump said life is like a box of chocolates when he didn't. He said life was like a box of chocolates. And it's happened here. It's happened here. So we've had... I'm interested to know where this is going. Go on, Chris. The idea is that we're in a new timeline or there's been some glitch in the Matrix and everyone has a memory of something that didn't happen. Um... Seven people guessed one of the films correctly, but six people, six of those people guessed it wrong. They guessed interview with a vampire when it's interview with the vampire. <clears throat> what? Collectively, the world thinks this film has a different title to the one it does. Is this movie called Interview with the Vampire? It is, Alex. Yeah. Did you not know yeah. that? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I'm saying now, every time I call it interview with a vampire throughout these shows this week on Clash Pod, I don't want to hear you piping up, Chris, going, um, it's the vampire. Because no, it will get... this... Yes, I'm doing that in this bit. But yeah, isn't that strange, though, that we've all got this wrong somehow? That's nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. I honestly, I I've written all my notes with interview with a vampire. So good, good, good facts, Chris. Good, thank you. Um, do you want to have a guess at a connection while you're on a roll? 
Uh, vampires love movies. Um, yes. It's quite weird that these ancient, these very old period piece movies have scenes with vampires going to the cinema. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. Um, I've got how much narration is too much narration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. <laughs> um, um, Any more? Gone with the Wind is a weird connection. Uh, the writer of this adaptation of Dracula wanted it to be uh, Gone with the Wind with vampires and Neil Jordan wanted it to be Gone with the Wind with sex and violence and vampires. So that was what they were both going for. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, on a, on a same uh, very serious note, um, uh, I've got one. Uh, is it that after blood, the most important thing to a vampire is quality hair products, like a, a really, <laughs> really good conditioner, some John Frieda anti-frizz, you know, something like that. Daniel Day-Lewis. They that's both it. wanted Daniel Day-Lewis, but they both didn't get Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, that's a good one as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Who, who was he going to play in both, do you know? Same, uh, uh, Lestat and Dracula. Ooh. Yeah. I'm glad he, I'm glad he wasn't Lestat. Um, yeah. Not sure, not sure about that. So All right, Dean, what's more? the real connection? I've no. got three. Are you ready? Um, vampires need manicures. Get your tits out for the vamps. And the real <laughs> one is... <laughs> the real one is mad, bad and dangerous to know. Stick your neck out for Camp Dracula which is pretty clever when you drill into it. Um, so, yeah, they're gothic bonk busters, vampires as pale, loose aristocrats, walking metaphors for sex, essentially. Um, I'm just, just so I never forget it, the phrase gothic bonk yeah. busters mm-hmm. is going yeah, on buried the lead there. <laughs> you buried the lead there, Vicky. Gothic bonk busters <laughs> <laughs> is what we'll be using on the Twitter. <laughs> but did you know, I did, I, I just want to, this, um, it's n- not to do with the film, but I found this out through researching these films, which is really interesting about the transition that Dracula, well, a vampire went from being like a beast in the forest in Eastern mm. European folklore to a sexy posho. And do you know how that happened? Yes. Oh, I didn't. Do you want to say? Oh, no, I am, I think you should say it because I've clearly found this out at exactly the same time you did, which was researching these movies. So go oh, on. Oh, yeah, but I just found it really interesting. So everyone knows about the the creation of uh, Mary Shelley, who at the time was Mary Godwin's Frankenstein. So she's at a via, uh, villa, is it Diodati, Diodati, somewhere on a lake mm. with Percy Shelley and Lord Byron and a few other people. And I just never knew who those other people were. But one of them was called uh, John, I think, Polidori, who was Byron's physician, which I wondered at the time, does physician mean drug dealer? But anyway, let's (laughs) park that. Um, And, you know, they had that competition to tell each other a scary story. And that's how Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein. So John Polidori and Byron, but mostly John Polidori, end up writing a vampire character that's more of an aristocratic, uh, sexually open predator rather than a hairy beast forest. And they called him Lord Ruthven. And that's how you get the progression from the forest to the upper echelons of like society. Isn't it interesting? That is interesting, yep. Victoria. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. sorry. That's why the connection comes on, because Lord Byron was described as mad, bad and dangerous to know, as I'm sure you know. So there you go. Okay, uh, we'll do a little bit more on that and the development of the demon 
vampire to this gentleman vampire as we get into Dracula, because you gave me 1992's Dracula. Chris had 1994's interview with the vampire. (laughs) We do it chronologically. So I'll begin. Let me take you on a journey. Dracula begins, as all good vampire movies should, with the legal paperwork involved in purchasing property, as English Keanu Reeves pays a visit to Gary Oldman in Transylvania so he can sign some documents. No sooner has he realised that this was definitely a meeting he should have done on Zoom, he is a prisoner of the Count, who then, having trapped Keanu, pops over to England to throw down some sweet moves on his fiancée, Winona Ryder. But having escaped the Count's castle and spray-painted his hair silver, Keanu and his accents return home, and having pried the scenery from Anthony Hopkins' mouth, they attempt (laughs) to destroy the Count once and for all. The film also features werewolf sex in a garden. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Dracula. What are you? Vampires do exist. This one we fight, this one we face. He can take on many forms. He is both young and old. He can appear as mist, as vapor, as the fog. And he can vanish at will. The power of his evil desire has no end. You got to go to him. You got to love him. She is a willing recruit and devoted disciple. She is the devil's concubine. Join me in eternal life. Your salvation is his destruction. I want to be what you are. I want to see what you see. I want to love what you love. Take me away from all this death. So, our individual histories uh, with this movie. Uh, Chris, would you like to begin? Yes, yeah, big, big fan of Dracula the book, Dracula the film. This was, this came about at a very formative time in my life. And I think I've said before, I was quite scared of horror growing up. I didn't watch any horror movies. But I think through reading Dracula, Frankenstein, Jekyll and Hyde, that was kind of my gateway into watching the horror films. And so, you know, we were when we were growing up, we only had Batman and a bunch of action movie stars. I think that these were like my Avengers, these books and these films, because it was at a really unusual time in Hollywood. Um, for about five years, you had the biggest stars on the planet making big budget horror movies. So you had Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, you had Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That one had De Niro. You had Jack Nicholson doing The Wolfman. You had Julia Roberts doing Jekyll and Hyde. And you had um, Tom Cruise doing Into the Vampire. So, yeah, it was a big deal for me, um, this film. I was too young to see it in the cinema, but once it came out on video, I watched it a lot. And me and my mates were big fans. Like we, I remember us laughing a lot at some of the line deliveries in this film. That's my abiding memory, is just doing impressions 
of Gary Oldman, as I'm sure you will over the course of this podcast, Alex, <laughs> and pissing, pissing ourselves at, at how sort of melodramatic and over the top, A, the words were, and B, his deliveries were. And did you enjoy this rewatch this week? Was it a, a, was it a nostalgia-fueled event? Yeah, I think with both of these films, they're different to how I remember them, is, is what I'll say now. Okay, okay. Victoria, what about you with uh, Dracula? Um, I don't remember watching it on video or anything like that around the time it came out, uh, but I do remember watching it a lot as an older teenager in a stu- in my student house. And, and so it's difficult because the amount of times I've seen it, I now can't see where it's it's gone it's too camp for me now to be mean about it although i i can see that it's not quite right um i it's only this week that i found i always was under the impression that it was a massive flop because it's so bonkers but it wasn't (laughs) was it like it just no it it smashed it Yeah, I was exactly the same. I don't know where that came from. I think basically because it was everyone before the film was released was talking about it being a massive flop because it went a little bit over budget and apparently some early screenings didn't go to plan and they started calling it Bonfire of the Vampires in reference (laughs) to the massive flop that was Bonfire of the Vanities. So, yeah, I think maybe that's what I knew. But you're right, it did um, over 200 million uh, globally, so it it was a huge hit. I'm going to be honest with you, this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. I have attempted to watch this movie maybe two or three times, and I don't know why. Clearly, I was called away to other tasks, and I never went back to it. So... The only way I know this is because the bit where he becomes, Gary Oldman becomes the giant man bat and turns into hundreds of rats is brilliant. And I don't remember it at all. And there is no way I would have seen that before and not remembered it. So this was the first full watch of this movie for me. Um, Just before we get into the backstory of the film, vampires seem to have a very special place in a lot of people's hearts where are you with vampires in general? Because there are real fans of vampire movies and vampires in general. Would either of you call yourself super fans? Um, I don't think they're real, if that's what you're asking me. <laughs> you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't been to any concerts or anything? You're not on the, you're not on the vampire mailing list? There is a vampire association that I looked up um, just to see what they were up to, but it's, it's not a very active grouping, if you will. Um, but they, <laughs> well, they're all like in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can. You be? I didn't. No, sorry, I start again. I didn't realize you could be a super fan of a fictitious character, but uh, if you can, I would say no. But I, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by anything that is a metaphor for people's uh, darkest fears and desires, because who wouldn't be? Yeah, those um, those things that you're talking about, these vampire groups. Um, I used to play a role playing game called Vampire the Masquerade um, with my friends as a kid. Uh, we didn't do it very much. Our preference was a, a game called Shadowrun, different story. Uh, but yeah, they also have live action vampire role playing events where everyone gets dressed up and stays in character. It's very popular, apparently. Um, I'll just finish with my favourite uh, vampire from the big screen is the ninja vampire from the start of Blade 2, uh, as played by Danny John Jules from Red Dwarf. So, <laughs> let's get into uh, the backstory of Dracula. It was written uh, by James V. Hart, who we've talked about on this show before when we did our Hook episode. Uh, he uh, wrote the screenplay for Dracula. Uh, do you know what else he wrote? 
Uh, he um, he wrote the 1996 film Muppet Treasure Island, um, which starred as Long John Silver, Tim Curry. So, uh, <laughs> that, that concludes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. Ding, ding. Um, and another connection between the films, though, is that is that James V. Hart uh, was inspired to seek out the Dracula novel after reading Into the Vampire in the late 1970s. Oh, well, that's good. That is. Mm. Um, so this is based on Bram Stoker's legendary novel, first published in 1897, uh, which didn't become a phenomenon initially. It actually only really gained massive popularity thanks to a movie. And uh, that movie uh, was the 1920s silent film Nosferatu, <laughs> with Max Schreck as Count Orlock. Uh, the name was changed from Dracula to avoid copyright infringements, although Bram Stoker's widow uh, did still sue them. And apparently all the copies of the original film but one were destroyed because she won the legal battle that it was a copyright infringement on her husband's work. But it was that battle and that movie that made the novel so popular. Fast forward... 70-ish years, and Francis Ford Coppola is having a meeting with Winona Ryder, uh, a kind of clear-the-air meeting. You know, like the meetings we have after each episode of this show? <laughs> One of those meetings. <laughs> because she dropped out of The Godfather Part 3, where she was due to play Murray Corleone, a part that eventually infamously went to Sofia Coppola. So she thought Francis Ford Coppola hated her. So she was like, can we meet? And turns out he didn't hate her. Uh, and she must have gathered that because she said, could you read this script as well? And left him a script. And that script was James V. Hart's Dracula. Turns out that was a good idea because Coppola, big Dracula fan. Uh, apparently, when he was 17, he worked as a drama camp counsellor. Uh, his then girlfriend had the same job, but was working at a nearby camp. So in order to put his nine-year-old campers to sleep, he'd read them Dracula and then sneak off to see his girlfriend which is um, a nice story. So his thinking was, I want to make a big mainstream hit because he was still in a little bit of financial difficulty at this point in his career. And he wanted to make a mainstream movie. So he was like, bring it on. I'm going to make Dracula. Have I missed anything? Well, it was going to be a TV film. That's what I read. So Michael Apted, who's yeah. an executive producer on it, was going to do it for telly. But, so, but then yeah. I do feel a bit sorry for him because once Francis Ford Coppola was like, yeah, I, I bagged it, so you can't. Um, <laughs> it's a bit much. But, you know, praise for the best. Uh, but, yeah, it was going to be just telly. Yeah, it was. Um, although, Michael Apted, did you say that? He, yeah, he stayed on as a producer in some form, didn't he? I think you said that. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, this ties into what you were saying, uh, Victoria, about this whole notion of Dracula changing over the years uh, into this gentleman vampire. Because in Bram Stoker's book, he is uh, very much like in Nosferatu, a walking corpse, uh, a, a not very pleasant creation, and a demon, and not a nice thing. He's evil. So this film is the film that is largely responsible for turning him into this lovesick romantic. And that was largely due to this script, which creates this whole new backstory that's not in the novel about him losing his wife and then Mina Harker being the spitting image of her, her reincarnation, and it's all about love. And the tagline being, love never dies. So 
that's the biggest change that this film do- has done. It's sort of cemented this idea of the vampire as the romantic. That, and it's this film that also made us believe that he was Vlad the Impaler. That yeah. little history lesson at the start, that's all this movie, which I genuinely believed. I thought, yeah, Dracula, yeah, he was Vlad the Impaler. That's from this film. Yeah, but Vlad the Impaler for, was really up to some nasty stuff in the dungeon, wasn't he? Like, as a as a ruler, like, he wasn't nice, I don't think. I don't think he drank people's blood. I don't know. I think there were some heads on sticks. Yeah. Well, he was genuinely called Vlad the Impaler, so you'd hope he did. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, shit. <laughs> I mean, not, not hope he did, but you'd imagine that you'd get that name for doing something with heads and <laughs> not sticks. Just, yeah, not just like really fierce looks of people. Yeah, Bra- Bram Stoker was inspired by uh, these stories that were coming out of Transylvania about that figure in his army, but he didn't tie the two together in his book. It was James okay. Lee Hart who, who suggested that they are one and the same person. Oh, that's mm. cool. Okay. And uh, the book obviously ends very differently, which is uh, Cowboy Quincy Morris and Jonathan Harker. They're the ones who do away with the evil count, uh, not Mina, as happens in this movie. So uh, the other thing that's worth mentioning, but I think we'll do it as we go through the film, really, is uh, the look of this movie, because the effects Coppola wanted to do all in camera, which is why it looks... Freaking brilliant, this film. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. Um, but we'll talk about yeah, that as we go a, through. His, his go argument on. for that was, this is a direct quote from him, uh, Dracula was written at the same time as cinema was invented. What if I made Dracula much in the way the earliest cinema practitioners would have? So he sort of set himself that challenge. And yeah, it mm. will be interesting to talk about that because I think it's one of the, the, the finest aspects of the film. Yeah, um, it nearly it didn't happen, or it might not have happened if he'd listened to his visual effects team who said it couldn't be done without modern digital technology and CGI. So uh, Coppola uh, fired them all. Uh, he just got rid of them, just gone and got his son, uh, Roman Coppola, in as the visual effects director because involving members of his family in <clears throat> his movies had a great track record at this yeah, point. That so. always works out, doesn't it? So, yeah. oh, but for everyone else he's he's used has been good though. From his his sister to his dad, they've all done good jobs in his movies. Yeah, and Roma does a great job because, like I said, this film uh, looks incredible. And to go back to what you were saying, Chris, about this movie uh, celebrating the the birth of cinema, you even get the. Um, a train pulling into a station that's on the screen the lumiere brothers uh, early film when uh, the wolf is on the prowl and they're all in the cinema and it plays into that urban myth of the audience screaming and running away from the cinema screen because they thought the train was coming out of it lovely stuff great stuff last thing gary oldman said he never really wanted to play dracula but he wanted to work with coppola it wasn't on his bucket list but coppola's a genius so he decided to play him uh him and uh, winona Ryder apparently didn't see eye to eye on this but have since made up i'm not going to go into the details and tragically because we were talking about liam neeson missing out on being in monster squad as dracula <laughs> here he loses out on being bloody van helsing to anthony hopkins so that's a shame poor liam neeson and uh we can talk about, well, poor Keanu Reeves. We'll get to him. Poor Keanu. Um, right then. You ready to go through the film? Yes. Brilliant. Um, we start with a history lesson. Uh, we find out that Gary Oldman, his wife, who looks a lot like Winona Ryder in both roles, she kills herself because she thinks he's 
dead. Um, but on the plus side, he has got some incredible armor. I love that costume. <laughs> Don't you love that costume? The fact it looks like the tendons of muscles. I remembered that from the first time I'd watched this, and I was like, oh, that's such a cool suit of armour. Did anyone else get like a little bit giddy about the armour? I think I was just looking at his hair. Like you said, the hair is a big thing in both these films for me. Um, I was obsessed with it. The, the wave of it, the natural kink of his hair, beautiful. It is a wig, surely, though. I mean, fine, but still gorgeous. Right. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. I mean, if if we could get our hands on whatever hair was used for that wig, uh, we could have a great day out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, he has an amazing uh, he has an amazing crucifix uh, that when you pierce it with a sword, it uh, it bleeds. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's unexpected, isn't it? No one's like, oh, you know that. Oh, that was in there, did you? <laughs> I mean, he even looks a little bit shocked. Who filled the blood? When did you put blood inside it? I thought we were supposed to be God-fearing people. Who's been filling the crosses with blood? <laughs> um, and uh, uh, he basically goes, uh, he renounces God and becomes a vampire. Uh, cut to London, England, and we meet Keanu Reeves uh, as Jonathan Harker. I love Keanu Reeves so much that I do not have that much of a problem <clears throat> with whatever accent he is trying in this film because he's Keanu Reeves and always you just go, yeah, it's Keanu. I can handle that. That's that's his take on something. Yeah, I agree with you. When you see, I mean, first of all, just back, just back to hair, I think hopefully for me for the last time, but Keanu Reeves' hair in this film, I had his hair when I was at school. So I found that very distracting. <laughs> when I was at primary school, just had curtains because it was the 90s. Everybody did. Um, yeah. But yeah, because it's him, I wouldn't have this film any other way, but there is obviously a part of me that should be bigger, but just wishes wishes the accent wasn't as distracting as it is because I'm not listening to a word he's saying. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Coppola said that he just tried too hard and that was the problem. He wanted to do it perfectly and in trying to do it perfectly, it came off as stilted. I tried to get him to relax with it and not do it so fastidiously. So maybe I wasn't as critical of him as I should have been, but maybe that's because I like him personally. Last line about Keanu, which is how I feel to this day. He's a prince in my eyes. <laughs> well, oh. I, I, I have an opinion on this. I I don't like it. <laughs> and it's the reason I've not really watched the film much since then. And when I knew he was going to show up on screen uh, this time around, I felt like I was stealing myself for his arrival and I could feel my stomach churning when he appeared. And then this, <laughs> I felt anger when he started speaking because it, between this and Much Ado About Nothing, which was around the same time, I, I, I really felt like he'd been sent here to ruin films I'd otherwise love. Like I, I took it, personally and i think i've said it before when we talked about devil's advocate i, th I feel like with him oh yeah i think you, you've either got to cast him as someone otherworldly or someone um someone otherworldly or someone who doesn't have to express any actual emotions 
<laughs> so like an, an alien or, or a simpleton and you're fine <laughs> but once you give him work to do um like you do here uh, he's got to go through quite a, a lot of emotions it's problematic and i i, I do find his scenes unwatchable Right. I often find that you say that like you're trying to help him out. And I don't think you think that sounds like an insult. I think you're, you're like, so honestly, and like if you just cast him as a simpleton, we're, we're away. We're bloody great there. But, uh, and no, I don't think you realise how offensive that is. I think he's realised that. If you look at a lot of his choices from doing another <laughs> Bill and Ted to, to John Wick, John Wick is just a guy who he's using his body and he's, he's not saying much. And it's he knows what he's good at. Um, Reeves, he's figured it out, and that's why he's chosen his role so much, so much better. I think the last sort of twenty years than the first twenty years of his career. Right. When when you say he's realised that, was there a moment then when you were going to say so he's realised that I'm right and <laughs> has picked his roles accordingly? Uh, anyway, he gets shipped off to Transylvania uh, to meet the count and sign some legal documents. Uh, first point. I love that model train. That model train that he sits on is everything. Like that, it just, it's, we're talking about the in-camera effects. A couple are basically celebrating the cinema of the last 100 years and using effects that could all be done in camera. It, it just, it sets the tone so well for the rest of this movie. And the bit where the Count's eyes appear in the sky, like looking down into the train and Keanu's sitting there, reading the letter. Didn't you think that was a great sort of visually, at least a great moment? I think it, I agree with you, but I think it's unfair to, um, if this is being pitched to a mainstream cinema going audience as a horror film as well, but more the mainstream aspect, because to really, until you get your eye in with that kind of effect, it would seem crap because it would seem not of its time. And uh, it's shonky homemade, which is what it's supposed to be. But unless you mm. understand or care for the lineage of cinema, you'd just be like, you know, you're wherever, Middlesbrough on a Tuesday night going to see this, you are the audience that he says he's making it for. You'd be like, what the fuck is that? But once you get it, it's beautiful. But at first, no, I didn't think it was beautiful. I thought it looked rubbish. Why, why do you think the people of Middlesbrough wouldn't get this, Vicky? What's your, no, what's I, don't, I don't. I'm trying to say you go to the, the middle of the... It's not an art house cinema in North London. It's like normal place, normal cinema at first. I'd just like I to apologise to our listeners based in Middlesbrough. I just want to say sorry. What? Because uh, I said they're normal. not the views of Clash of the Titles. <laughs> Oh God! I don't want to get into it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Um, at that point, <laughs> on that bombshell, <laughs> let's take a short break. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees Promoting for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Japan-based YouTuber Chris Broad every Wednesday as we offer the lowdown on what's happening in one of the most unique and exciting countries in the world. The Abroad in Japan podcast is home to all things Japan, from things to do... So today we've come to you guys with 12 places in Japan that nobody knows about. ...to the bizarre... When I moved into my new apartment last year, the police guy came to my door, mm. knocked on my door, I opened it, it was a policeman, and he said to me, in English, I am Japanese policeman. <laughs> and I went, that's the best introduction you could possibly do as a Japanese policeman. <laughs> to the downright filthy. And for those of you who don't know what a tenga is, Pete and I did discuss how to describe it best before doing the podcast and I'll let Pete describe what a tenga is. What is it, Pete? It's a solo male silicon-based ordinance's aid, so to speak. Brilliant. New episodes every single Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. A Road in Japan is a Stakhanov production. Okay, so uh, we're back from the break and um, uh, the part of the scene where... <laughs> Keanu Reeves is on the train reading the letter that I had a problem with, which uh, which wasn't uh, the train, uh, apparently like the people of Middlesbrough did. It was the <laughs> fact that um, um, well, the letter that Keanu Reeves is reading, uh, you see it on screen, and it's from the Count, Count Dracula, and you see he signed it D. And it's Gary Oldman's voice reading the letter. And he's like, oh, welcome to Transylvania. I cannot wait to meet you. And it goes on. And he reads the whole thing. You're like, please end on your friend. Don't then say D. Because <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm going to like 
I don't think I'm going to like that you've given yourself the little the little nickname D. It doesn't work for me. So I'm going to assume that you've heard it when you were recording this and going, that sounds stupid. Let's not do it. But sure enough, he goes, your friend, a D. <laughs> And I was like, nope, no, no. Dracula going, I'll see you later. A D. It's not good. I don't like it. I'm I, I'm not a fan. It makes him sound like a, a D. It's short for Diane or Deborah. Not working for me. So that's a shame. But I was back in the movie very quickly because of the coach driver who picks up Keanu Reeves and his amazing extendo arm. That's fucking cool. <laughs> What a simple, simple effect to like make the coach driver reach to like pull Keanu Reeves into it. But the way he shot it, it looks like his arms about twenty feet long, and you're like, "Cool, it's so good. I love that." Yeah, there's a great documentary that someone's put on YouTube called "In Camera: The Naive Visual Effects of Bram Stoker's Dracula," and they go into that train journey and and the, the before and after of that um, in quite uh, quite a lot of detail, and it's it's riveting. It's it's really ingenious the way that they've created all those effects mm. um i i wish there'd been some sort of agreement about how a word that everyone is familiar with was going to be pronounced throughout <laughs> this movie i do wish like because it's a word that everyone knows and you mean dracula yeah dracula the word dracula that's what i'm saying dracula there's one way to pronounce it not, not in this movie. He's called Dracula and Dracula and Draculia. And you're like, what? what, what? You're all, it's Gary Oldman saying his own name in different ways. <laughs> did, did, he, did, he, did, he, did he not remember what he said the first time? It's a little bit annoying. Like, I'm just like, agree. Just have a, have a sit down after the first time he said it in a different way and gone, shall we just agree on maybe Dracula? You know, like the... <laughs> Like the name is, shall we do it like that? No, no, he's gonna go with Draculia. Um, and then, uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, has uh, uh, a look at his palms, which again, I didn't realize was from the book. Remember when he sees Gary Oldman's palms and they're disgustingly hairy? That's a vampire thing I didn't know about. No, yeah. You don't get that in Twilight. It's all shimmery skin. I think Robert Pattinson should have very hairy hands as well. Just, you know, a little nod. A little nod to the original novel. But he waxes them. That would be better, wouldn't it? He'd be like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't fit with my brand one bit. <laughs> uh, um, it's a strong look so he's got here, though, isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's incredible. Like the whole, the voice and the 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 hair. That hair he shaved his actual forehead, his hairline to to have that look. Yeah, it's brilliant. And again, like the armor at the start, this has some wonderful makeup and costume design. No wonder it won the Oscar. So yeah, that's great. Uh, meanwhile, back in London. Uh, Winona Ryder is hanging out with Sadie Frost and uh, they're looking at naughty pictures in uh, Arabian Nights, uh, which appears to be more like the Kama Sutra uh, yeah. than uh, Arabian Nights. I, I'm pretty sure I had a copy of Arabian Nights when I was a kid. And and it didn't, didn't look like that. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't at all. I mean, evidence evidence now that you can still flick through it very easily. So the pictures were not like that. Um, <laughs> and 
this is where we get into this notion that Bram Stoker always denied that his novel uh, was overtly sexual. Um, but here we're sort of talking about, I don't know, Vicky, Chris, what do you make of the uh, overtones of sexual repression, I guess, in, in this era of England and, and what that means for the characters of Lucy and Mina? Yeah, there's absolutely no way that whether or not he intended it, but the character of Dracula and the book is not about uh, many things. But it's either like burgeoning sexual awakening or repression of female sexual desires or on and on and on. Because this is a man that comes into your bedroom and bites you on the neck while you're in your nighty. Like, well, I mean, it's like, that's quite obvious what that is. But also the fact that you, as a victim, are sent into this like paroxysm of ecstasy by being bitten on the neck um, and that you that it's a secret thing that you actually want and all the rest of it. There's no way it's not about sex, basically. Um, I And so the, the trouble for me with Lucy and Mina, although I understand it's representative of uh, attitudes at the time, and maybe there were women like this, but they're so simpering, I can't cope <laughs> with it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a moment when they're in the garden and it starts to rain. Oh and my God. It, looks, it looks like they've never seen rain before. They're like... That, yeah. <laughs> That's the the exact bit that I thought. Like, when you're looking at. Fine, yeah. When you're looking at. You've never seen these sexual positions in the Kalm Sutra slash Arabian Nights. Whatever, right? You find that would be quite titillating. But they're like, it's raining. (laughs) (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Shut up. It's it's one of those those stylistic decisions that makes your characters look like morons. Like, like, (laughs) rain. <laughs> what, what? You live in London. It has rained before, <laughs> but I always get like this when it rains. <laughs> and also, it's no um, Lucy is meant to be the more sexually uh, ready is a, a good word. I don't know for, than the two of them. But for someone who is ostensibly probably a virgin, her wardrobe is not that of a modest woman. (laughs) She comes to this ball and she's like, I've got these three men on the go. She's wearing like basically nothing. And when she's ravaged by the wolf, what kind of nighty is that, Lucy? P.S. Like (laughs) no one can sleep in something like that. That is chafing, all sorts going on there. Not for sleeping. Yeah. Um, we should talk about the wolf scene. Uh, we'll firstly mention the, the suitors. Uh, there's the cowboy Quincy Jones, uh, played by Billy Campbell. Uh, then you've got uh, Morphine Addict, uh, Richard E. Grant, and uh, Carrie Ools, uh, playing every English role he's ever played. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, 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 by the way, uh, Billy Campbell isn't playing Quincy Jones. <laughs> oh, who plays Quincy Jones? Quincy Jones Quincy is Morris. in the film. He's Michael Jackson's Quincy. producer. <laughs> oh, God. I knew, you know, it's the only other Quincy. I've never heard the name Quincy outside Quincy Jones. And I've written, I've got it written here. On my nose in front of me, I've got Jones crossed out and Morris <laughs> written next to it. Although, um, if there was ever a crossover universe between Dracula and Michael Jackson's producer, then I, I think... I'm there. I'm your guy. Bring me on board. Call it Thriller. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is the first time um, uh, the character Quincy Morris uh, has appeared in a Dracula movie uh, because he's in the books. Um, Quick mention of Renfield, the insane guy who is locked up in the asylum 
because he's just brilliant. He is brilliant. He's, oh, yes, a big cat. My salvation depends on it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, right, just before uh, werewolf sex, um, it is worth talking about, uh, uh, I guess, uh, a gangbang. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, probably never going to say gangbang again on the podcast. You didn't sound like you'd ever said it before. To be <laughs> Shall we have it? Oh, fuck. No, never mind. All go home. <laughs> <laughs> would uh, the, 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 there's drinks in the kitchen and then afterwards um, uh, perhaps say uh, gangbang <laughs> gangbang gangbang yeah. <laughs> do you mean a gangbang oh, no I mean a gangbang <laughs> gangbang uh, yeah oh my god oh no uh, 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 I've taken uh, my glasses uh, off. That's how upset uh, I am. Uh, All right, I'm just, just orgy. That's fine. Orgy. That's fine. I should have said orgy. Orgy, not a gangbang. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember Monica Bellucci uh, being involved in the gangbang um, when I first saw it as a teenager. But I'm not sure I knew who Monica Bellucci was um, when I was a teenager. Uh, she's in there. Um, it's quite good uh, as a weird um, sort of. Gang bang. Uh, again, I'm not sure what they're meant to involve, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, a real one uh, should uh, should anyone ever encounter uh, a gang bang uh, doesn't involve uh, the, the biting of the penis, um, which happens at one point. Although, strangely, that isn't as uh, shocking as when Keanu Reeves' nipple squirts Ooh. blood. Ooh. Yeah, that got me. That's nasty. Ugh. I just, I, I feel like I should have remembered that. And maybe that's where, why I've never had a gangbang because that, uh, that nipple squirting blood is a really troubling image. Yeah, it put, it put me off orgies for life, but that was mainly because of the eating of the baby at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Right. Yeah, but that yeah. doesn't, that doesn't have to happen, does it? I, I don't know, but it's not, that's not obligatory. If you have an orgy, someone brings a baby. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. <laughs> don't forget your baby. We're having an orgy. Uh, oh God. Uh, well, there's a sentence that's going to haunt me and I know it right now. Um, good, good, good. Uh, as a way of cleaning this podcast up, um, Let's talk about a werewolf having sex in a garden. Mm. Um, not not least of all because it looks a bit like a monkey as well. It's sort of a monkey <laughs> werewolf thing. Um, yeah, how did you feel about that? I do remember this when I first saw it and I didn't like it. It felt strange, as, as it should. Yeah, what did you think you were going to feel? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not sure, Alex. I'm not sure I want this whole podcast to be you just asking us what we think about various sex scenes. I don't know how to respond. I've been very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I thought it might help me. I'm being selfish here. I need guidance, and I'm turning to you, my friends, to guide me through werewolf sex. Good thing or bad thing. <laughs> All right, let's move away from that. And so a a structural point here in the book, 
Dracula is just really lustful and just he's after Lucy because I'm Dracula, I'm here, sexy time. Um, In the movie, he already knows that he fancies Mina uh, because she looks like his dead wife. And yet he still pursues Lucy first, which I find quite a strange decision, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think I read that it was to get energy or something. Like, he transforms Ah. into... I don't know if that's true. He transforms into his young self because he's got the Mm. magical soil (laughs) in which he travels. And then I thought he was, like, taking Lucy's energy and her whole joie de vivre, if you will, in order to maintain his youthful steampunk look. But I could be joining dots that aren't there. Mm. Yep, and the Kenneth Branagh from Wild Wild West look that he's rocking. He looks amazing. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I really love it. <laughs> I think it's a shame that when they meet on the street, I know you said that Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder didn't get on, and I think it's really obvious when they finally meet, and she's modern day at the time, Mina, and they're going to chat each other up, and it's the worst chat-up scene I've ever seen in my life. Like Apart from the fact that there's no chemistry, it just goes so wrong for both of them. He's like, oh, hi. Hmm. I'm I'm a prince and she's like get out of my way and he's like oh shit okay I will do I guess and then runs after her and she's like oh no sorry I've been rude it's like oh just <laughs> write some dialogue well well yeah I I guess it, 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 to, to my memory it basically she he sort of starts harassing her uh, yeah. and she, he does. she's like piss off piss off piss off piss off you're a prince Hello, how are <laughs> you? <laughs> Shall we go to the cinema? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, and they do go to the cinema. Uh, as we mentioned, the famous uh, silent movie, one of the first films, a train pulling into a station by the Brothers Lumiere uh, plays, uh, and everyone screams and runs away because historically that is what happened when people first saw that movie. Um, although it's, it's question marks about whether that happened uh, or not, but let's pretend it did because it works. Although again... Another confusing moment because I thought people were running away from the wolf because they so throw a wolf I. into yeah. there. Yeah. In fact, I thought that having seen this film maybe ten times until you just said that now. Um, so never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't really get that scene uh, much. It felt like Francis Ford Coppola uh, paying homage to the movies that had influenced his filmmaking style for this, but it felt a little bit like what's going on. Although it was a nice date because. They go to the cinema. All their other dates appear to be in the same coffee shop with people having a much better time in the window behind them while they sit there and like with big pauses and like sort of an awkward conversation. And you can literally see silhouettes of people having a great time dancing yeah. and laughing just behind them. I think it's such a shame because what's between them should be almost visible. Like this 400, however many years have passed between them, 300 years. And she's the reincarnated version of his most precious love. And he's travelled oceans to find her. And they're just sat there like it's just exposition. And it's I think it's a bit of a waste. That's the line apparently that Gary Oldman said. I wanted to read that line so much I took the role. I've crossed oceans of time to find you. Yeah. Uh, so um, I do like the narration. I mentioned the narration at the very start. It's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those bits of narration around this point where Gary Oldman turns up as his younger self. That you go. All right. I've just got a very quick question, and the narration preempts your question, and it just goes. Contrary to what you're uh, about to say, vampires 
can move around in daylight. And you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, can they? That's a useful bit of information because uh, I was about to sort of go, what's he doing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the minute I, he's walking around in daylight, you're about to tell us he can walk. Because I was just about to say, can he do that? But he can, can he? Because you've just told me he can. Great, 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 great. Well, that happens a lot more in Thursday's episode when we talk about interviewing the vampire. There is non-stop <laughs> rewriting and explanation of, of vampire law. So be happy. It only happens once here. <laughs> yeah. Um there's some great moments when uh, they're trying to figure out what's happening to Lucy when she's getting more and more uh, into the realm of the undead. There's a great bit where a shadow runs out of the room, leaking blood across the carpet. That's freaking cool. Um, Keanu Reeves at this point manages to escape the castle in Transylvania by falling into a river. Uh, so fine. Uh, he's got terrible hair. Um, I don't know what it was meant to be, but it, it looks silly. I don't like his hair. In the second part of this movie, thoughts? What, where he's gone gone a bit grey because he's stressed? Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't look proper grey, though. No, it It doesn't. It looks like it's been painted on. Thank you. You couldn't even get that right. You couldn't even get that right. Um, And then there's a weird moment. This is, so I'll be honest, it's around this point that I started to get a bit bored uh, by the film. There's a lot of different things happening and they all are sort of thrown together. And there's really cool moments. But the second half of this film's where my interest did begin to wane. So Keanu invites Mina to come and get married with him somewhere in Eastern Europe, which seems like a a hell of a journey when he's already going to be coming back home. (laughs) Like... I don't know. I don't know why he'd sort of write to her and go, you know, that dream wedding we've got planned. How about a scary monastery instead <laughs> in Eastern Europe? So he, she goes out there. Then they both come back, and in the meantime, Gary Oldman's furious because she's left. So he takes it out on Lucy and turns her into a fully vampiric person and he, then pulls, Anthony he Hopkins... turns her into the bitch of the devil and the devil's concubine yeah cool <laughs> right uh, that's what anthony hopkins uh, says uh, just before he says we could still save her soul but not on an empty stomach and goes to dinner and then she dies oh, and yeah. it's like reorder the way you do things i'm so hungry i'm gonna eat before oh, she's dead i was having a meal um, is that the moment food, though I've where they tell you something? <laughs> is that the moment though where they cut from um, her vomiting blood to them eating a bloody <laughs> bit of beef? Oh, yeah, that's no, a that's bit. a little bit late. That's uh, great though. That, but that, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good cut. Um, what I, have you to tell say, you so, I have to tell you something. Just speaking about food, and I'm going to try and say this without laughing too much. But you know, I can't. You know where Dracula is cross because Mina's left him to go and get married to English Keanu Reeves, <laughs> and Dracula can summon the wind, and he stands in the middle of a bit of grass and he's shouting, "Winds, winds!" <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait a minute. I'm, I was watching it with Mark, and he's never seen this film. And he said to me, I'm crying. He said, Is he saying, Is he saying, Mince? Is he saying, Mince? And he's standing there going, Mince! Mince! <laughs> Like polos or like meat? <laughs> <laughs> mince or mince? Like meat. Like 
minced min. meat. Min. Is he shouting? <laughs> Is he shouting mince? And I started laughing then. I haven't stopped laughing since. And I wrote it down. I was like, I can't even say it on the podcast because I can't say it without, like, I'm having a heart attack <laughs> But just the thought of him, this man mad with lust and love, just shouting mince. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm finished so, now. Uh, Mark Mark banged his head quite badly the other day, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he had yeah. concussion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, dear. just an aside. Just an aside. <laughs> Mint. <laughs> Mint. Come on, Al. Pull it but back. Say Al. angry. Say angry. <laughs> Mint. Oh, Mint. Let's go back to what Chris was saying. The, the vomiting blood thing uh, by uh, Sadie Frost from the coffin is wonderfully done because yep. she does it as an afterthought. She, she climbs back into the coffin, lies down, and then goes, ooh, one more thing. Blah! <laughs> All <laughs> over Anthony Hopkins, which is great. It is really uh, good. <laughs> uh, then uh, they uh, kill her. And um, Mina asks Anthony Hopkins uh, if she died peacefully over dinner. And he goes, yes, we staked her through the heart, cut off her head, burnt her. And then she found peace, which is a great <laughs> line. I, I have to say, apparently Francis Ford Coppola didn't like um, Anthony Hopkins' approach to this movie because he refused to rehearse scenes and just wanted to do it in the moment and didn't do any research about his role. And in the end, he said it was great. Uh, because uh, he had a spontaneity in those scenes that really worked. Uh, this isn't this isn't gold standard Hopkins for me. It's all a bit too much. I, I, I feel. I know he just done Silence of the Lambs and won his Oscar. I'm not saying that he was like I can do anything, but it's just there's a it's a very noisy performance. But I think he does bring a bit of humour to a film that's desperately in need of some laughs. Yeah. Um, because it is quite po-faced until he shows up and is sort of acting all larger than life. And to be honest, I don't blame him for not wanting to get involved in those rehearsals because there's footage of that online as well at, at Coppola's Napa Estate. Um, mm. And and they're all doing improvisation and dancing. And you watch <clears> them doing all these wanky actor things as well. There's one scene where they're all tossing sounds to each other is how they put it. And it's just a bit painful watching it all, uh, talking about their process. Um and I can imagine Hopkins not being one for that, just wanting to get on with the job. Well, now you've put it like that, I'm back on board with Hopkins because that sounds awful. That's like, that's the worst. Although I think at that, uh, I think it's at that, that winery, Francis Ford Coppola's Californian winery, that he has the armor. I don't know if I've mentioned the armor that Gary Oldman wears at the start. It looks like tendons. It's on display there. It's great. Apparently, I haven't been. Uh, they wouldn't let me in. It's a private estate. I don't know if it is or not. I'm just assuming it is. Anyway, I'd like to <laughs> no, go you there. You can go and visit that winery. We could do that. That could be okay. a trip. Oh, that would be great. Good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I feel sorry for Renfield. Um, I've got a note here that goes, poor Renfield, because for the whole movie, he does everything everything right by his master he's like i'm doing it all for you master uh come and see me master i'm here master and the master gary oldman never shows up the minute renfield goes oh he's over there to someone he shouldn't then gary oldman goes um screw it, you're dead i'm killing you now <laughs> the first mistake renfield makes i, I that's as a, a bad boss that is that's it's 
bad team management right sure, there. It is. Um, then we're sort of into the final hall now. There's one great moment, like I said at the start, which I forgot where he becomes a man bat and, and he sort of backs away into the corner and those two glowing eyes remain. That's so cool, that moment. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, then we have the sort of very strangely edited horse chase uh, with the stagecoach. <laughs> and then it's the end. Um, we, you know, um, the brides of Dracula get their comeuppance. Uh, poor Quincy, Morris, not Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, he gets killed and, uh yeah. Sort of, it sort of ends. I was kind of ready for it to end. My notes are kind of threadbare at this stage because I was like, oh, God, this has been two hours, 20 minutes. It's a bit long. So unless anyone has anything else, that's pretty much me done. Oh, did you read the uh, interview when Honor Ryder gave recently where she was talking about the scene where Gary Oldman is going to turn her into a vampire, but he changes his mind because he really loves her and he doesn't want to do that mm. to her. So talking mm. about rehearsals, Apparently, when they rehearsed that, Francis Ford Coppola had the rest of the uh, cast stand around and to sort of, was this was sold to Winona Ryder. was like, this will get you into the spirit of what's about to happen. He asked them all to shout at her that she's a whore, um, <laughs> but, but they wouldn't do it. So um, it was Keanu Reeves who's like, I'm not doing that. Sorry. So no, I'm out. And then this, gradually everyone else is like, yeah, no, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. And Francis Ford Cobb is like, oh, really, guys? You don't want to call her a whore? <laughs> and she was like, so we, if we've done that, come, moving on, shall we get on with it? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was, wasn't was that the one day Hopkins turned up, though? He was like, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think if Keanu Reeves could be a whore, I'd quite like it. <laughs> he probably will after he hears this. We slag him up so yeah. much. <laughs> is that why you're baiting him? So he calls you a whore? No, I've had my moment. That day he bought me the popcorn. We're, we'll be friends. We're bonded forever because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's just hope he never listens. Right. Um, shall we do the bits? Yes. Yep. Great. Uh, let's start with uh, you, Christopher. What is your best scene in Dracula? We've already talked about it. I'm going to go for the train journey through Transylvania because I just love those effects. The map appearing on Harker's face, which they did via front projection. The projection plate of Gary Oldman's eyes in the sky. The rear projection to have that appear outside the compartment window. The miniatures of the train and, and, and the way they make it look like the train is traveling on top of uh, Harker's journal which they'd done through perspective. Mm. And when you watch that video, which I'll post on our Twitter, they actually made a 20-foot wide journal, which they shot the mm-hmm. train uh, behind to make that look. I mean, you wouldn't think that because that's so basic, but that's that was the the you know the, the way they created the effects in this film. So I love that. Okay. Um, I wondered, are you saving that bit then? Because I remember when I mentioned the train earlier, you were you were deathly quiet. I'm like, I thought Chris would have something to say about the techniques used in that train journey. And sure enough, he did. Just a little bit later. Uh, Victoria, best scene. I really like when Lucy vomits blood with the sort of just one more thing that he said. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> but the most memorable moment for me is when Dracula licks the razor that Keanu Reeves has been using to shave. Because yeah. it's so, it's such a quick movement and it's so odd, obviously. Um, and it's, it's really well framed and well shot. Gary Oldman's brilliant in it. So that. There's a weird, 
I, you know, when you sort of go on these, here are 20 facts you might not know about Dracula on a couple of those sites. And I say this only because, like, it's one of those weird facts that is unverified and sort of it has that effect where, like, someone prints a fact and then uh, the avalanche effect occurs and everyone goes, oh, it's on one website, so we'll have that fact that he was drunk when he did that. He spontaneously licked the razor because he was a little bit drunk and was like, I'm going to do this. And... Um, it, little facts like that, and I'm not saying that's that's true or not. It reminds me, if you go on, a girl did an experiment, a female student did an experiment uh, years ago uh, where she put a fact on the internet and um, said that on average, a person uh, swallows 12 spiders a year in their sleep. And if you go on any weird facts site, that fact is there. And she actually made it up. Uh, to show how information uh, disseminates across the internet and gets repeated as a fact, um, even though it's just blatantly not true. So, um, yeah, little diversion into a spider swallowing. That should have been <laughs> a scene in this film. Um, Christopher, who is or what is your MVW, your most valuable whatever? Oh, shit, I didn't do my best scene. Uh, my best scene is... Um, the bit where Keanu Reeves leans out of the castle window very early on and sees Dracula scuttling along the castle wall. I remembered it as a kid, and it freaked me out because it's just so weird where he's there all scuttly. Right, MVW, Chris. Big fan of Tom Waits in the film, um, as we've mentioned a couple of times. But I'm going to go, it's MVW, most valuable, whatever. I'm just going to go for the artists who worked on this film, the production designers, art directors, set directors, Roman Coppola, um, because I just love the way it all comes together for this sort of sumptuous feast for the eyes. You've got especially all these different uh, forms of filming they did. Reverse photography, double exposure, front projection, false perspective. They they bought an old Pathé camera for those scenes where they're shooting um, Gary Oldman in, in London, sort of walking along at double speed, matte paintings. Oh, yeah. Um, really old-fashioned tricks like the old one where it looks like there's a mirror there, but there isn't. That's just, the you know, someone pretending to be someone else. Uh, it's an empty space and even altering gravity at one stage outside the castle by putting the camera and the set on onto its side. Um, they're all very simple magic tricks, but they, they combine to, 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 to have these effects on screen that I, that won't date, I don't think in the way that, you know, if they'd been computer generated, they might look terrible now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm pleased that you listed all the different techniques. I was, I had a list and I was like, I know Chris will do that at some point. And you did. And I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, Victoria, what's your MVW? It is Tom C. McCarthy and David E. Stone, who won the Oscar for Best Sound Effects Editing because the sound effects and the sound effects editing are really brilliant. So it's constant. There's a constant backdrop of like whooshes and, and howling and scratching and snarling and everything else. And it, it, it layers up the, all the artwork and all the perspective tricks that um, Chris was talking about. It just makes it this really strange, multi-sensory, weird experience. Um, I'm going to throw into the mix then as my MVW, the stagecoach driver with his extendo arm, because <laughs> uh, it's, it's great, which ultimately, I guess, is the in-camera special effects that they use. What would you change? Uh, we'll start with you this time, Victoria. If you could change something in this movie, what would it be? 
Oh, I hate to say it, but it's just the accents, the British accents. I don't. Gary Elmans is great fun, but I know that Keanu Reeves drew all the flack for his accent. But I don't think Winona Ryder is doing a great job either. And every time she speaks, it like it's like nails down a chalkboard, and it's such a shame because I don't I don't need them to sound as British or even British. To be honest, it would have been fine, and I can't get past it. So they've got to change that. Christopher, uh, well, there is a section on the film's Wikipedia page dedicated to criticism of Keanu Reeves' performance. He's, he's got his own <laughs> section for it. So uh, I, I think it's punching down. It's how, too long, easy. how long have you been a, how long have you been a moderator? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you've got Richard E. Grant, you've got Carrie Elwes. I don't know why one of those guys couldn't have played that role. Um, but I'm not going to do that because I think it's too obvious. Um what I would change is I would take Bram Stoker out of the title. Um, I didn't realise this is something that Coppola does. So he he did Mario Puzo's The Godfather. He did John Grisham's The Rainmaker. So he, he thinks it's important to credit the author when he's doing adaptation. But I think here it's completely false advertising because I went to this thinking um, this is going to be the you know an adaptation of Bram Stoker's book and it isn't I mean the first six minutes are completely new and then you get Bram Stoker's Dracula after watching six minutes of something completely different so I just think it's false advertising and I think it should just be called Dracula yeah well I think that that's 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 the main thing isn't it like they did the whole love story that people now associate with Dracula this whole Love, law, and romantic all comes from this movie, which ain't the case in Bram's book. Uh, I'd change uh, the second half. Uh, it's a really broad thing, and I don't know why. I just remember losing um, my patience uh, with the film. I thought the first half was great, and the second half, I was just looking at how pretty it looked. It was style over substance by the end, and, um, you know, I was quite excited when... Uh, Gary Oldman died. I was just like, all right, good. Well, that was always going to happen. So congratulations, everyone. Um, <laughs> on we go. Shall we move on? Um, so, yeah, but again, it looks great. I just, I got a bit bored. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Clash Potters, one and all, that is the end of Dracula. Uh, however, Victoria, with these being your choices this week, do you have a quiz for Chris and I? I do. And my quiz is called... I want to mess you up. So get ready, okay? Um, vampirism is a metaphor for forbidden passion and exposes our fears around sex. So this quiz <laughs> looks at the lengths we've gone to in law because we are twisted up in knots about sex and bodies and whatever else. So I think you're definitely going to be feeling super comfortable right now, okay? So, is there, um, Are we going to have to talk about gangbangs? <laughs> no. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions, right? It's very straightforward. If you, get it, if you get the correct answer, you can have a point. But failing that, the answer that I decide is the funniest wins the point. Okay? That makes sense? Oh. Chris, does no comment count as an answer? Mm, I, I suppose so, but you would you'd forfeit the point. <laughs> so, but I, and I know you, and that's not good enough for you. So, um, so the, <laughs> these are various um, laws from around the world to do with sex, and you've got to guess the answer. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Number one in Liverpool, England, a woman is prohibited by law to walk around topless unless she is what working. <laughs> 
good answer. Chris, what's your answer? Um, at the Grand National. <laughs> I saw a woman. I saw a woman take her top off at the Grand National once. Uh, the actual answer is selling exotic fish at the market. Um, but I'm going give... <laughs> to give the point to Chris because that was funnier. All right, one nil to Chris. What, 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 sorry, I know it's a quiz and we're on the clock here, but why did a woman take her top off at the Grand National, Christopher, in what circumstance? You haven't been out in Liverpool, have you, on a night out? <laughs> oh. Okay, Victoria, I'll, carry on. I'll, I'll say no more. All right, number two. In 17th century Spain, a woman could be freely topless but what were considered sexual and had to be covered in the presence of men. So she could get her boobs out, but this she couldn't get out because they were sexualized in the presence of men. What is it? Those sexy elbows. Elbows, uh, okay, no, incorrect. Clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is feet, but 2-0 to Chris, that is a funny answer. <laughs> oh, my God, are you kidding? Are you kidding that like you she, you had to keep your feet covered in 17th century Spain? Yeah, it's your dream time. Yeah, oh, you, that's those where are my you kind live. of people. That's my kind of town. Wow, I know, I'd be, but... I'd feel, I'd feel less nauseous on a daily basis, mm. which is great. A woman could have her feet uncovered, but only with her husband. So I like to think you would have ended up with someone who would have tortured you with their bare feet constantly at home, just to mm. make up for your weirdness around that. Okay, number mm. three. In Birmingham, UK, it is illegal for a man and a woman to have sex on the steps of what after the sun goes down? It's the school. <laughs> What's your answer, Chris? Working men's club. <laughs> the answer is church, uh, but I'm going to give that one to Alex. Two one to Alex. <laughs> okay, number four. In Hong Kong, a betrayed wife is legally allowed to kill her adulterous husband if she catches him in the act, but may only do so with what? Sex. <laughs> Good answer. Chris, a knife. Your answer. A knife. A knife. No, it's her bare hands, but I'm going to have to give that to Alex. So, so it's two all. So it all rests on this last question. Are you ready? In Lebanon, men are legally oh. allowed to have sex with animals, but the animal must be what? Blindfolded. <laughs> <laughs> Unconscious. Chris. Oh god! Just the animal must be female, um, which is an answer I like because I don't know who should be more offended: women, gay men, or animal rights activists. So it kind of gets us all there. Um, I'm going to have to give it to Alex. That's really funny. So yeah, you've just pinched it at the end there. Ua, yeah. Three, two. <laughs> well, suddenly uh, all that talk of gang bangs earlier seems uh, less. Uh... Uh, arousing? No, that's not the word. I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, the end of this episode. Have you got any other business, Christopher, before um, I give us the clue uh, for my films next week? Um, I think, Victoria, you'll be happy to hear we had an email from Kev Bailey who showed his uh, four-year-old twin boys and nine-year-old daughter never-ending story and used um, your oh, horse tail. Oh, really? <laughs> yep, the tunnel under the swamp. Um, story oh. to get him out of a spot of bother. Did it work? <laughs> yep. 
They seem happy with that. Oh, I really. Although they didn't actually watch the film to the end, apparently, because they got bored by the giant tortoise. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's boring for kids. Yeah. Um, And I sent you this, didn't I, guys? Jamie sent us a a picture of the Lost Boys, but with our faces superimposed. Oh my god! Are we allowed to put it up? Because I'm still laughing. I've shown everyone I know. I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I'll post it. I was waiting until. (laughs) But especially the um... picture of you, Chris, is so. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I I like the picture of me least, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, yeah. If you've got to put it up, put it on the Twitter. Put it on the I will. Twitter. I was just waiting until we'd gone live with our own vampire films because everyone was going to say, think we were doing Lost Boys. And we will. I promise we will do Lost Boys, but maybe we'll just need a break from vampires after this week. <laughs> yes, because uh, we're not doing vampires next week. I will give you a clue, though. Here's my clue that Chris could then. Um, Rewrite on Twitter <laughs> as is as is his, his custom, <laughs> or maybe he won't do it to you. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, my my clue is fathers and daughters and guns. Oh my! Ooh. fathers and daughters and guns. Oh my! <laughs> there you go. That's my clue said twice so that is the end of this episode we will be back on thursday to meet the challenger for the bloodsucker brawl crown in the form of interview with the vampire thanks chris if you want to get in touch with us we are on twitter at clash pod all sorts of extras are on there to do with each show that we put out as well as that as i always ask and it does take two seconds it'd be hella nice of you to scream in the background is is your child okay victoria i just heard a scream then did you hear that chris not yeah. my ends. No, my children are fine. Chris? No. Oh, wait, no. No, it's a child just fell over outside my house. Sorry, it was my <laughs> end. My end. Oh, that looks nasty. Oh, I should probably go help. No, no, there are some adults. Adults there. They're definitely with it. Sorry, I'm, I'm narrating a, a, a with child it. slipping. With yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The adults are not having sex on the steps of a church. Uh, everything's fine. Uh, but their feet are out. Good. Uh, do give us a star rating, uh, if you could, wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple, uh, Spotify, or other. We'll be back on Thursday to do Interview with the Vampire. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.